0: It's uncomfortable when you're not used to hearing yourself just being alone with your thoughts and silence. But if you can spend five to 10 minutes just in complete silence, no phone, no nothing, no just no stimulation, and then grow that a little bit over time, you'll begin to hear some things and be able to deconstruct some of the paradigms that you had that may have been given to you by somebody who wanted to control you. There's a difference between a dream chaser and a dream catcher so for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? Here
1: we are this morning on the Dream Catchers podcast, but it's a takeover episode. I'm actually not Jerome Myers. I'm Jeff Vinn, a previous guest on the show, but I'm here with the Jerome Myers. Jerome, say hi. What's up? What's up? What's up? We're getting this energy out this morning, getting moving, but here at Dream Catchers Podcast, we're telling the stories of people who have chased their dreams and escaped the matrix of mediocrity. You know, that lack of fulfillment in life, that dream dash, those adults struggling. We're here to inspire others to actually capture that dream, live it out, and find it. And all along the way, we find out what amazing stories people have lived. But today, the tables have turned. Jerome, you are in the wrong seat today, but it's the right seat today. We had a little role reversal,
0: didn't we? Yeah, man. This was cool. Jeff, it was so so grateful you offered to come on and be the guest host for the Dreamcatchers podcast. So I could give the audience a little update of what's been going on for the past, I don't know, I probably haven't dropped the episode where I was a guest in 18 months or so.
1: Yeah, and, and last time I checked, you said you don't count, but we're well over a hundred episodes in. So it'll be interesting to to hear your story because you know we're talking about being in that matrix of mediocrity. Uh, we're talking about, you know, as children, we have this like innocence and this this belief and all this stuff. But you went through the same pattern that many of us uh, went through, including myself, where you chased the dream. You got the college degree. You got the MBA. You got the job. So tell us like that moment of, hey, I'm on the right track. I'm on the track society wanted. And then, boom, you land in corporate. You land in that matrix. What did that look like for you? How long ago was that?
0: Yeah, at this point, it was about 10 years ago, man. Uh, back in 2010. I started realizing that things weren't as I expected them to be. You know, we were in the middle of the recovery from the Great Recession. Fortunately, I wasn't impacted, but one of my mentors was. And i taken on a role where I moved from an engineering position to a position that didn't actually require a college degree as a leader. And it was there that I realized there's so much more to life And just the stories that were told as kids don't necessarily translate in the real world. And I hated that job, if I'm totally honest. And I was in that job for like 30 months and five hours and 32 minutes before I actually got out. I applied for like 100 jobs and got 10 interviews and didn't get a single job offer. And for me, that was deflating because I went from somebody who was a high potential, super high performer to somebody who couldn't get an entry level job at the company that I've been working for for, I don't know, I guess it was five years at that point. And so I started asking a bunch of really hard questions.
1: Now, take us through it before you, you went out and looked for these jobs, because it sounds like it was really bad. And then you're like, hey, I'm going to crack out of this thing. And it got worse because no one wanted you. What, what, what was that feeling like, that sinking feeling as year after year went by? Was it you wake up every day and the hours were long? Was it leadership suck? Like, what were those those things that many of us struggle with and feel during those five years?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing that was a struggle was I couldn't do anything right anywhere except in my volunteer coaching job in high school. So I go to work. The work didn't really feel meaningful. It was super monotonous, super detail-oriented. It didn't really feel like we were impacting anybody. And you know, people in leadership made it out to be a pretty big deal. And looking back on it, I'm not sure which view I really agree with. We were responsible for keeping the power on for Central Virginia where I was working. And so if there was an outage, we're responsible for getting the people there, check out, see what happened, and then figure out the solution to get the thing fixed. That was not really exciting for me. I wanted to be one-to-one. I wanted to be touching people in their daily lives and making an impact. I think the other thing that I really disliked about the situation was I had shift work. I had to work at nights or second shift, really. So one to 11, I had opportunities where I had to work on Sundays and Saturdays. And if a storm happened to come, I was working a 12 hour shift from six to six, either night or day. And those things were not something that I really wanted to do, but it was part of the role and something that people wanted me to have exposure to as I send it into higher leadership roles.
1: Yeah. And did that, that schedule in those hours, like affect your ability to, to, to raise a family? I know you have kids or friends that also kind of make that side of life lopsided as well, like outside of work.
0: Yeah. So my oldest was like six months when I was going through these changes and she was pretty happy the majority of the time, but in the middle of the night when she woke up, you know, she was sad and say, I got home at 1130 and she woke up at two, I might've slept for an hour and a half. And so it was just a really miserable time for me being an adult. And a lot of people don't actually talk about that. They always talk about how great it is to have, you know, young kids and being able to love on them and dote on them. But there's some things that are really tough. And so I wasn't really handling all of that well. And so, yeah, I mean, being on a different schedule and having those types of adjustments were were really tough for me. And in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have done what I did. I probably should have just stayed on the path of staying technical from an engineering perspective and going into engineering management versus doing what I did for that, what seemed to be a really long time, two and a half years.
1: That's yeah, pretty crazy. You know, if we have 24 hours in a day and we break in thirds, eight hours to sleep, eight hours to play or do domestic activities or whatever, eight hours at work, you know, it's kind of important that we feel a certain way or like our job or our profession to a certain degree because, as you're saying, you, we spend so much time there, right? It informs so much of our life. We're under that leadership and under that environment under that people. Do you find that to be true?
0: Without question. I, I don't think most people end up doing this stuff in thirds, though. I think that might be utopian. And, and I guess it really just depends on what phase of life you're in. You know, I'm a five to six hour night sleeper and that balance of time gets used to create things. Um, You talk about play. Uh, Play is something that's pretty interesting. And how you spend your play time, I think, really determines where you end up going. If your play time is on things that don't actually build you or build the things that you want to build, then you don't make progress. And so figuring out how to make those play things, those hobbies contribution or contributor to your success, I think is extremely important.
1: Yeah. Let's unpack that because I wanted to talk about that, that hard time when you had to lay off a lot of people, but that's kind of a linear story. Yes. So play and having those bursts of creativity and the opportunity to create, like, what does that look like in your life? Is that something that's always been there and you've done? Or at some point, have you like practiced that muscle of play or that awareness that you needed to play? And like, tell me what that looks like in practicality for you? How do you do it? What do you go after? Like, is, how, how would other people in the audience apply that to their life?
0: Yeah, I don't know if most people are going to really enjoy this piece of the conversation because it's it's uncomfortable, right? So Jeff, I, I wake up and I think you have a morning routine as well. But you know, I spend four, maybe five hours each day working on myself, meditation, reading, um, listening to something positive is going to build me or educational Um, I work on a foreign language. And so, you know, when you're talking about people spending eight hours in play, four, five hours of that is just really on self-development for me every day. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that. There's some people who want to spend 30 minutes on themselves. It's all about consuming things that are entertaining. And for me, that just doesn't line up.
1: So if someone's in a place, though, where they're, they're listening to this podcast, they're hungry, they're kind of burnt out, and they need to have that discovery time to, to find out their next move or to really look deep within and bring in that resignation letter, like, what would, what would you say for someone to take a baby step? Because you're right, four hours is a big leap, but could someone tackle 30 minutes or an hour? Like, what would you tell them?
0: Yeah, I think I tell them to start, right? Doing more than what you're doing is the game. And for instance, like, I, I run six miles most mornings. But I didn't start out that way. There was two years where I walked six miles because I thought running was out of the question, right? And when coronavirus kind of quarantined everybody and I had a buddy of mine call me and he he said he ran four miles and never to tell him I can't do anything else. The next day I went and re- I knew I could run four miles because he had done it, right? And just kind of baby step your way into it and just make progress. And so it's uncomfortable when you're not used to hearing yourself and just being alone with your thoughts and silence. But if you can spend five to 10 minutes just in complete silence, no phone, no nothing, no, just no stimulation, and then grow that a little bit over time, you'll begin to hear some things and be able to deconstruct some of the paradigms that you had that may have been given to you by somebody who wanted to control you. And for me, when you start having that awakening and that awareness, then you get super hungry and go to what Dave Ramsey calls this gazelle intensity where it's like, okay, I know this thing happened. And now I'm kind of obsessed with figuring out what are the other things that are attached to that so that I can actually enjoy the life that I have. And so that's what I would say. Start with something super small. Start with like 10 minutes, right? Start with reading a page in a book and then incrementally grow that after you get used to the rigor of it. And I think you said it best. It's a muscle, right? So everything builds on it. Everything builds on the other thing. And if you try to do too much too fast, you're likely to fail. And that failure will make you not want to do it anymore. And the whole goal is to have a bunch of small wins, knowing what your overall goal is. I call it the North Star. So you're moving towards the North Star. You want to just take baby steps towards that North Star.
1: That's beautiful. We talked about a couple of things here, like just, to, just even reading an inspiring book or this, that, and that, that. But you're specifically talking about a meditation practice. So like, um, do you do it every day? And how long are you into now? Like I say, if you started at 10 minutes, like unpack your actual practice using like the Headspace app, Calm, nothing, a timer, like walk us through like where you started with it and like where you're at now. Because I, I think this is key. We're in a noisy society, right? A lot of noise coming at us, a lot of watching this, reading this, listening to this. And and that's the antithesis of it. So like you said, there's an extreme discomfort level, but the results are pretty fascinating. I'm over a thousand sessions in on Headspace. Uh, I usually hit 10 minutes, but walk us through your meditation practice. Like how did it start? Where are you at now? And what's it doing for you?
0: Yeah, so one of my mentors, a guy named Pankaj Sharma, exposed me to a lady named Sunea Roman. And she has guided meditations. There's a collection of, I think it's 10 of them that I have access to. And I focus on two of them. One is on abundance and another is on creating money. And so they're about 26 to 28 minutes long. And I get up and it's the first thing I do in the morning, still trying to take advantage of the alpha waves. And so sometime between four and five o'clock in the morning, I pop up and I go downstairs. I, I get in my chair I cross my legs, as you would see some people or think about a monk doing. I put my hands in an appropriate position to receive, and I begin the meditation, and it's guided, and it takes you through visualization of specific instances. And then towards the end, it tells you that you can come back when you're ready. And so sometimes I stay in the state for a little while, and then other times I'm ready to move on to the next thing, just depending. And so there's a couple of things that you figure out. One, just because something stimulates you doesn't mean that you have to move. And so say your face is itching or say um, something's blowing on you, some cold air. You don't have to respond to it. You can just leave it there. It's okay until after you finish the practice. And that level of control is something that is extremely important when you get into a place where you're uncomfortable or something or somebody's pushing on you to get something done. And that ability to stay still and be still is going to be the difference between you making a great choice and one that you may that isn't going to yield the results that you truly desire.
1: That's insane. So I'm liking this morning routine thing because a lot of us, um, you know, we, we, we have a lot of pain or we're stuck at the job. So we go there all day and then we have responsibilities to take care of. So we don't have that time to like reflect, to journal, to get it out. So this is really good. So you're waking up at 4.35, uh, you're doing this meditation thing. Um, And then you might stay in that state for a while. Where does your mind go there? Because we're going to unpack your like four to five hours of of, of personal growth and self-development. So it starts at 435. It starts with meditation. You know, you're 30 minutes into the day. What's happening next?
0: Yeah. So then from there, I move into Spanish because I really want to get that embedded. And so I, I do a few lessons on Duolingo, just going through the Spanish understanding. Most of it's pretty elementary, but It'll be enough to get me by because we spend a ton of time in the Caribbean when we vacation. And so learning the language and being able to connect with those people in their tongue and understand what people are trying to say is like super important for me. From there, we'll move to reading. And so uh, some type of personal development book, uh, just finished up the one thing and working on a book on networking and connection right now. And then from there, and that's, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, depending on if I found something that I really like in there and really enjoying. From there, we go to journaling um, and I do it electronically. A lot of people like to write it out, but there's so much stuff that's repetitious for me that I, I like to have the electronic piece to it. And within that, I talk about just a overall summary of what happened the day before um, my affirmation. I... Mention whether or not I talk to my kids and what we talked about, and then I go into my goals. And so what are the things that I'm working on most? Include something, the things that have pending resolutions, kind of the big decisions, the big ambiguity or unknown outcomes, and just what any updates on those things or things that I need to do in order to move them to completion. And then I list all the things that I did the day before from a calendar standpoint. That's followed by what I plan to do today, what I'm grateful for and the best thing that happened. And then the last thing on there is how much I weigh because I was focused on losing weight earlier this year.
1: You said, we were talking about fitness early and you said you didn't know nothing, but apparently you can run five miles and
0: you're aware that you need to lose weight. (laughs) I don't know a whole lot about the electrolytes and the chemistry of it all, but you know, it's, it's interesting, I was in a pretty bad car accident uh, back in 2005. And so I broke both of my femurs, broke my kneecap, and did, and and I tore some ligaments in my right knee, and I didn't get everything fixed, right? The bones are okay, but all the ligaments and stuff aren't. And so I told myself that, hey, you know, you don't want to be beating on your, your um, knees, your joints, you probably should just walk and that'll be enough. And what I've learned over the past six to eight months is if you're not getting your heart rate up high enough and into that peak intensity, then you're just missing out. And while my two hours of walking that I used to do was nice for clearing my headspace, it wasn't really doing a whole lot for my body. And so I had to grow the intensity of my exercise routine in order to actually get some real benefit and impact.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, I'm a longtime runner, jogger, whatever and of all the workouts I've done, surf, paddleboard, uh, mountain bike, weights, all kind of cardio, um, when that heart rate gets up, right? So for me, that's like over 150 beats per minute, maybe 160, and particularly in jogging, life is amazing. It's like the best drugs ever, right? Those endorphins kick in, it's a steady ramp up, it's a steady ramp down. So that's funny you said that because I've been at times in life too where I've just done resistance training or been kind of more low impact. And when I don't have that rush of blood a couple times a week, my life's actually quite different. Sounds like you may have experienced something similar. Yeah,
0: I, I learned a ton through this period of quarantine uh, and it's really encouraged me to go in more. I think a lot of people are looking for validation externally and all the answers are within. You may not be able to unpack it and find them on your own but you have all the answers to the challenges that are in your world. And it's just a matter of trusting your intuition and helping people quiet the noise as we've talked about a little bit throughout this episode so that you can actually hear the voice.
1: Yep, that's a perfect segue into what we are going to continue to talk about. So we've talked about two things here. One is that if you're new to it, somewhat painful practice of meditation, right? Cause it's the antithesis of what's going on on our phones or the TVs, it's just that silence. but you have a pretty elaborate journaling practice. You know, you've probably heard of the morning pages or we all know about diaries and things like that. I'm an avid journaler. I do three, four, 800 words a day. And my practice is more like a, a stream of conscious one where I'll just get it all out there. Have you always journaled? Because your journaling is pretty elaborate. There's there's so much the audience can glean from that if they even just did one pocket of it but just like you walked us through what you did with meditation like how long ago did you start journaling like when did you really see the benefit did you skip a bunch of days like like walk us through like the newbie perspective because you're at a, a different place in journaling now take us on that journey what what where did it start what were you doing for journaling
0: yeah it started this year honestly i wasn't getting the results that i wanted business wasn't growing as fast as I wanted it to. I was kind of scattered in my approach to things. I didn't have a clear vision of what I was trying to achieve. All I knew was that I had come to a place where I resented the fact that I was really good at earning and that A lot of times I felt like I was just a wallet and was responsible for paying for things, but not having any real value for the people who I was paying for things for. And so I was seeking significance. I wanted to be able to contribute to people's lives in a meaningful way. And so I spent all of my time trying to do that. And because I resented my ability to earn, a lot of my income was basically taken away. And so I needed to recalibrate my appreciation for my ability to earn and match that with the value that I was delivering to others, because it doesn't matter what you charge a person who you're working with, as long as they're getting more value than what you're charging them for. And I think that was the thing that I probably struggled with most when I moved to entrepreneurship full-time in a place where I was doing service for others. I. When I first started, after I left corporate America, I was fixing and flipping houses, right? And so it was pretty much black and white. This is what it costs to do the job. Here's how much I bought it for. Here's how much the market will pay for it. But when you start helping people with one-on-one services, the question is, is this worth that number? And I, because I wanted to help people so bad, I used to do myself a disservice. I would charge next to nothing just so that I could be a part of their world and try to add value to what they have going on. And that was a huge mistake. Because if you're delivering tremendous value, then you should be rewarded for that. And I think a lot of it has to do with our lack of confidence and belief in ourselves, where we reduce fee or put fee at a place where we can't take care of ourselves in order to be a part of somebody else's stream. What's up, Tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show.
1: That's interesting. So you were having success uh, coaching and you wanted to coach, but you were deeply undervaluing yourself. You know, It was probably imbalanced, right? You were giving a lot more than maybe you were receiving in return. So that's kind of a tough pickle to get into, but you you got out of it. What what did you do? Did you just, like, stop taking on new people? Did you raise rates across the board? Like, practically, how would you move from that state to the better state you're in now?
0: Yeah, I, for the folks who I was already working with, and the one person that I've worked with the longest, I think he's probably been with me, like, four or five, maybe even six years at this point, we just had a practical conversation. And he said, look, man, you're charging too little, like, here's what's happened to my business since we started talking. I was in a different place early on, but my business is way different than it was now. And you need to be charging a different number. And he said, I don't know where you're going to take the rates, but it doesn't matter because of the amount of value that you're delivering to me. And so him believing in me and having the proof of concept and the actual results and attributing it that to my contribution to the business. Because there's a lot of people who will say, oh, yeah, well, I did all this on my own. Your contribution wasn't that big of a deal. You didn't really help me get to this place. I did this, and you just happened to be riding along on my coattails. And there's other people like, no, you made a real impact in my world, and I want to you, reward you for that. And so him believing in me in that way allowed me to, I think, I quadrupled my rates, and more people were willing to show up for that than they were the other thing. And mind you, I I was spending, I mean, just the amount of value that was being created increased dramatically because the people at the new rate, I could help them more because they were in a better position. Yeah. They have more access to resources. Yeah, that's
1: a good point. You know that saying, damned if you do, damned if you don't? Uh, You may be damned if you do, but you certainly will be damned if you don't. So it's pretty courageous because a lot of us are stuck in uh, jobs right now or situations or you were in that coaching thing where you finally had enough pain, where you reached the point where you know you needed to raise rates. But at that point, a lot of things can happen. You could do nothing. And if you do nothing, you're forever miserable because you have an awareness now that you really are undercharging or you can be a baby about it. And you can be like, oh, I'm just going to talk to these three clients because they're new and they're chilling. I know this this guy or gal makes a lot of money. Or you can just carte blanche, like take that moment of insight and epiphany, you know, take that inspiring uh, conversation with that one client and just do that thing. So uh, that's probably the hardest thing for all of us. How many of us right now, like in a relationship or something going on in work, just we know what we need to do and we need to do it full send? And full sin doesn't mean radical. Full sin just means like I'm not undervaluing myself coaching anymore. But full sin means like I'm not just like stepping into it or the next one I'm going to charge like a little more. What would you say to someone like that? Because honestly, I kind of laugh right now. I don't know what it is in my life right now. But, yeah, there's things where we're going to get to the better place. We have an awareness, but we just won't rip the freaking bandaid. How would you encourage someone? Because you did. dude. I don't know how quick you did it. Maybe you did like lollygag around and finally did it. But what, what would you say to
0: people? No, I mean, it was end of year and I I made a bunch of radical decisions. One was I I changed fee. So, hey, you're on notice, January 1, rate's changing. Two, if the person wasn't making over 100 grand, you had to be scheduled on my calendar. You couldn't just call if you weren't making over 100 grand. And that hurt some people's feelings. But the fact of the matter was I didn't want to spend time because the five people you talk to the most are gonna be the, aver- the average of those folks income. That's what you're gonna make. No if, ands, or buts about it. That's what's always gonna happen. And so if I wasn't making 100 grand a year, I was doing myself a disservice because I made way more than that. And I wanted to make that in the coaching business, not through all the real estate stuff that we were working on. And so I, I made those two choices immediately. He's like, no, I believe in you. I see the value and I believe that it's worth more than what you're charging. And so you should be more than willing to charge that because your top client, your longest running client believes that it's worth this. That was super exciting for me. And there was a lot of trepidation because like, where am I going to find these people from? But the reality of the situation is when you actually value yourself yourself you'll attract the right people to you. There's no question about it. And the people who don't value you, you don't really want them around anyway because they won't ever allow you to do all the things that you can do because you're not charging a rate where it actually makes sense.
1: Yeah, I just had a funny um, picture here. It's almost like life can be like the funny room, like all the funny mirrors, right? Because like, do I value myself? Do I want this, that, and other? But with your practice of meditation and that stillness you got somewhere, and then it sounds like in journaling, which you started hardcore in December of 2020, so it sounds like you started pretty hardcore early this year. Those were pretty radical things that kind of got your antennas up to get the information, yes or no?
0: Without question. It's all about clarity, Jeff. Like if you're not clear about what you want, you won't get it. And the story I tell about the accident that I got in is I didn't know where I was going. Like I went, I left looking for a barbershop but I, I didn't know where the barbershop was. And I was just wandering around. And yeah, in your car, yeah, the car accident. Yeah. And so and on the way back, you know, I, I got smashed. And had I known where I was going, I can't tell you that it, that wouldn't happen. But I know that I was in the place that I was in because I had no idea where I was going. And I promised myself I'd never be in a place where I didn't know where I was going anymore. And so getting clear is the biggest gift that any person can give themselves.
1: Yeah, and let's unpack that because that's a big question. What is your main impetus right now? Do you have like a mission statement for your life or like one main thing you're after? What is that in your life right now? Like looking now and ahead, where are you at with things and where are you at with that clarity? What are you after?
0: Yeah, the goal is to free a hundred people from work they're not passionate about. The other piece of that, that thousand is we want to buy a thousand door portfolio that creates passive income for people to replace their active work. But the goal is to get a hundred people out of work they're not passionate about. Because I believe that if those hundred people are off doing the thing that they were put on a place on, on the earth to do, that the world becomes a much better place, right? If you and I are doing the things that are in our genius zone, we can impact thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people because we're doing a thing that we were uniquely put here to do. And I don't think most people really understand that somebody's waiting for them to do the thing so that they can do their thing. And it's this chain reaction that because you're deciding that you're not going to do your thing, you're just going to do the status quo, that you're keeping all these other miracles from happening.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the trap. And that's the whole escaping the matrix thing. Love it. All right. So we're going to switch gears now and do some like popcorn style questions, but they're not short answer. They're just like, we're just going to bounce, bounce, bounce. So this is a big question, but think about it for a second. But what are you most proud of in your life?
0: My kids. Without your kids. Yeah.
1: Yeah. How so?
0: Oh, man. So the old one, older one, Kaya, she is just one of the most thoughtful people in the world. So we're at Disney World. We hop on the bus. It's the end of the day, and she sees two seats. And it's the three of us: it's me, her sister, and her. And instead of plopping down in one of the two open seats, she looks around to see if she can find three together. And it was in that moment, because her do- her sister was asleep, and I was carrying her. It was in that moment that I realized, like, she doesn't just care about her; she cares about everybody, and she wants to make sure everybody has what they need. And I don't know many people. I think she was like eight or nine at the time. I don't know many people who are adults that think the way, let alone, you know, an eight or nine year old kid. Leah is the one who's willing to ask the uncomfortable questions. And I love that because she can sense when people are uneasy and she brings them out of it. Right. She she makes it okay to have a conversation and that allows people to become closer because they're not hiding behind this facade. And I think those two skills are going to serve them well as they matriculate through all the different lessons they're going to learn as they lead long, healthy and productive lives.
1: That's beautiful. So rewarding. Many of us uh, have the experience of uh, having kids and we're all kids, right? If you're listening to this, you, you are that to someone where <laughs> they may have gone. On. And in your work life, Jerome, what are you most proud of like in, in your personal life? So you created the babies, but work wise, like career wise, accomplishment wise, like what, what thing are you most proud of? And maybe it was way back in high school, you did some some lemonade stand, or maybe it's like what you did this year, like you took the red pill. What is it? Maybe it is that actually, it's on your
0: shirt. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, my man Brian Briscoe talks about Jerome is peddling red pills. And that part is super exciting for me. I, I think the thing I'm most proud about is going on to different platforms and sharing this message of you're not weird because you're asking the questions you're asking about what's wrong with the system. You're not weird or confused because you don't want to continue to go down that path that you were given or asked to do when you were a kid. That freedom and then telling people, hey, your dreams should be real on the backside of that, it's not something that I could have done in my past life being you know, in corporate America. It was all about returning value to shareholders. For me, I want people to be free to do the things that they're most passionate about. And if I can tell them that and inspire them and live a life that inspires them to go off and do those things, then I think I'm actually walking in my purpose.
1: Well, wow, that's an amazing feeling. Um. So that's, that's something you're most proud of. What's been
0: like the hardest
1: thing, the hardest lesson you've ever learned in life, the one that really stuck? What was
0: it? Ooh, so this one is, it cuts it deep, but I think there are people in the world who will take from you and have no desire to give you anything in return. And that was the most sobering lesson that I had to learn. And it turned me into a person who was counting what was happening in transactions Oh, I did this for you. Are you going to do something in return for me? Instead of just being the person that I was taught to be as a child, which just give out of your abundance. It doesn't matter if the person can do or will do for you, just continue to give. And the reason why I had to make the shift is because back in 2010, I ended up empty, right? I, I didn't have a mask for myself. I had masks for everybody else and it had a negative impact on me and my world. And so I had to get healthy, I had to start investing in myself, and then I had to recalibrate the people that were in my inner five to make sure that they were folks who were as interested in investing in me as I was investing in them. I believe mutual benefit is the only relationship that you should have.
1: Yeah, heavy stuff. We're uh, bringing the, the plane to the runway now in the next few minutes. So now we're getting super popcorny. So these could be more short answer. Thank you for the vulnerability on that. So if someone listens to this podcast, right, and they're in some kind of like lot of thought and confusion, like what's the one thing you'd recommend they do? Like say the weekend's coming up this weekend. Should they journal? Should they do this, that, and another? If, if someone's take take a baby stuff and they're all a mess, what would you say they'd do? they do? They're going to meditate, work out, journal, all the above, but they can only do one thing.
0: One thing is to find 10 minutes of quiet. No phone, no TV, no kids, no nothing. Just find 10 minutes of quiet and just listen to yourself breathe. Yeah,
1: that sounds terrifying. It could be. Uh, The funny mirrors, right? Um, Okay. If someone was to crack a book open, and we're sticking along this inspirational path, right? Taking the red pill. So yeah, they're going to get 10 minutes of quiet. If they were to crack a book open, what book are you going to have in their hands?
0: So we put out a book last May called Your Dreams Should Be Real. I want everybody to read that book.
1: (laughs) Your Dreams Should Be Real. That's cool. And then- What's one thing in life and it could be big or small that, that you really want, but you don't have right now?
0: Oh, it's big. I want a Lamborghini Aventador.
1: <laughs> Lamborghini Aventador. Whatever that is. I think it's a car. What's the it Lamborghini's is. motto? Is it like a snake or something? What is it? It's a bull. It's a bull. Yeah. Godly. Cars. Okay. I'll, I'll reserve my own commentary. And then how can people engage with you? Like, uh, so you said, read the book, uh, you, you gave, can we get the meditations and the notes on this podcast by that Sanea Roman lady?
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So you got the meditation. but, uh, how should people engage with you? Like, uh, what, what's the thing that you got going that might give them a lot of value?
0: Yeah. I think the best thing that we can do is connect on LinkedIn. I'm Jerome Myers on LinkedIn, Greensboro, North Carolina, and I post content there every single day. And I think, and I engage with folks. I'm on social media to be social. And so I love to have people start following us on the journey. I love that on social media to be social. What
1: question have I not asked you that I should ask here as the plane lands on the runway?
0: I think we talked about it kind of on the cuff, but not deep enough. And I think it is, you know, what's, what's the big takeaway? What's what, what matters? Why does it matter? And If you don't listen to anything else, hear this. Your dream should be real, right? You were given that dream for a reason, and you're the only person that can actually manifest it. And so if you're not on a path and actively trying to achieve that, then you're doing yourself and the world a disservice. And so I'm here to challenge you to do what it takes in order to manifest that as a reality.
1: Jerome, it's been a pleasure. We'll see you on the next Dream Catchers podcast. Join us. Thanks for sharing your value. Thanks for turning your tables. High five. We're done.
0: (laughs) Jeff, this was awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.